Welcome to the 230th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Patrick Winograd, for today. Uh, Dad is taking a little bit of an anniversary break, which is well-deserved. Um, and then I think he might be traveling next week, so it might be just me for the next two weeks. But uh, my voice will sound better than it did last week, and then it will sound even better the week after. So we're getting better here. Um, but let's jump right in with a look back at my weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. No MLB predictions this week because I wasn't quite sure how those series would go and I was a little too busy to uh, wait until they ended on Thursday night. But in the NFL and in college football, I went 2-2 two and two in my predictions. Starting in the NFL, the Jags beat the Bills 25-20. to I had the Bills in that game. That was an early London game, so I was able to watch some of it. Uh, easier to watch it when I'm on the, well, I guess I'm in the central time zone, but easier to watch it here than when I'm on the West Coast for very obvious reasons. Um, but look, the Jaguars played a good game in this one. Um, they're basically home. This is basically a home game for them because they've now played in Jacksonville. Sorry. They've now played in London instead of in Jacksonville, I should say two weeks in a row. Um, I'm not sure. I would assume that they never went back to Jacksonville in between games. That'd be kind of stupid. Um, but look, the fact of the matter is the bills, you know, the broadcasters talked about it a little bit. There was a chance that maybe the bills just didn't come out um, with enough fire originally because they scored a lot of their points late in this game, and part of that is just the fact that it's very hard to create a good schedule um, for traveling when the flight is that long. I mean, people talk about that even with West Coast to East Coast trips for teams like the Rams and the Chargers going to Philly, going to Washington. So I can only imagine how much harder it is going to London if you're Buffalo, although it's n- not exactly the same distance, but it's close enough distance considering how far East Buffalo is. Um, but still... Uh, you could chalk it up to that. I don't really know what to chalk it up to, but the Jags deserve to win the game. They did. Uh, then the Steelers beat the Ravens 17-10. to This one I also got wrong. I'm not too happy about this because I really feel like if Lamar Jackson's receivers didn't drop like 50 passes uh, in that game when they were wide open on good throws, then the Steelers would have lost. Um, but, you know, you can only do, you can only control what you can control. Uh, I can just try to analyze who should win on paper, and unfortunately it just didn't roll that way this week. But now the Steelers are at the top of the AFC North, so congratulations to them for that feat. Um, got those two games wrong, and then the last two I got right. The Chiefs beat the Vikings 27-20. Some notable injuries in this game. Um, one person missing was Taylor Swift. She was out as in she was literally not in the uh, not in U.S. Bank Stadium. To be quite honest, I will probably make one mention a week as a joke. I really don't care. Uh, but speaking of Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey did injure himself in this game, but then he tried to come back later. He did come back later in the game. So we'll see what the nature of that injury is. He was already injured and missed the first week of the year. So, uh, I don't think it's the same thing. I think this time they said it was an ankle and I think before it was a hamstring or knee thing. Um, so not the same injury, but then Justin Jefferson injured his hamstring in the middle of this game and was not able to return at all, um, which probably affected the Vikings ability to come back. But the Chiefs, Got a well-deserved victory, 27-20 on the road over the Vikings. And then the 49ers just demolished the Cowboys, 42-10. I picked this game knowing that, I mean, I, I, I won't ever say I will know the outcome of a game because if I knew the outcome of every game, I would never get a prediction wrong. But this was probably one of the most confident predictions i made in a very, very long time. Just because the 49ers just always seem to have the Cowboys number, especially recently. Um, and Dak Prescott has had a decent season, but... Frankly, he's been throwing short passes a lot, and I think that 
For the 49ers, that's something that plays right in their hands. You need to beat their corners deep if you're going to beat them, and you're not going to get much time to do that anyway because their defensive line is ridiculous. Um, and the 49ers also have a defense that's equal to uh, the Cowboys, which is something that not many teams can say. So the Cowboys on the other end, they are not really able to match up with the Niners as well, and the Niners have a much more dynamic offense, much more playmakers um, to go through the Cowboys' defense. And also now they have the Trayvon Diggs injury, so... That defense is weaker than it was at the beginning of the year. Um, but nonetheless, 49ers demolished them. Uh, not much more to say about that. Then in college football, what a great week, honestly. I am happy to have gone 2-2. Two two. UCLA beat Washington State 25-17. But even this game was really, really close. UCLA was had an opportunity to go up two scores at the end of the first half. And Dante Moore with the Bruins up 9-3 threw a pick six in, the end, in, in Washington State's red zone. Um, and instead, Washington State took the halftime lead 10-9 instead of UCLA being up maybe 17-3, at least 13, or sorry, maybe being up 16 or 17-3, at least being up 12-3. Um, but instead, it was Washington State with the lead, but UCLA still came back from that one-point deficit, and they won 25-17, an impressive win for them as they enter back into the AP poll where they belong, for now, at least. Um, and then number 23, LSU beat number 21, Missouri, 49-39. Uh, LSU definitely, definitely still has a bad defense. That was not a one-off week um, at Ole Miss. I thought it might have been. I thought that Florida State was just a great offensive team, um, which, yes, they still are, but I'm losing a little more confidence in them because of the fact that LSU's defense just looks terrible week in and week out. I mean, there's no other way. You can't really go around it. They, they just have not been good on defense at all, and it doesn't look like they're getting any better. Um, and you would think that giving up 51 points or whatever it was to Ole Miss last week would have been a wake-up call, but here they are giving up 39 again. And despite all that, LSU ended up coming back from a first-half deficit and winning this game, 49-39. to 39. There was a pick-six at the end that ran up the score a little bit, so it was a little bit closer than a 10-point game. Um, but LSU got the victory nonetheless. Those were the two I got right. The two I got wrong, uh, I picked, I, I guess, technically Oklahoma. Sorry, technically Texas was the road team, although, you know, it's, it's, it's at the Cotton Bowl. It's a neutral site. Um, but... I picked the two road teams wrong. Or sorry, no, no, Texas was actually the home team. But anyway, I picked Texas. I, I All season long, I didn't really know what would happen in this game, but we talked about how important it would be last week in terms of deciding the playoff, in terms of the lack of competition everywhere else in the conference. I had Oklahoma going 10-2 at the start of the season, which was considered a very ambitious prediction, excuse me, and this was one of the two games I had them losing. So at this point, I don't really have them losing a game. The one other game I had them losing was to Kansas, they could definitely still lose that game. Kansas is playing very well um, this season, but I don't think they will because Oklahoma has exceeded my expectations. So has Texas. This game was amazing. There's nothing you can take away that's negative from either of these two teams in this game other than the fact that Texas offense really actually struggled um, to get on board at the beginning of the game. And, you know, they had some special teams plays that turned the game around, but they also had some bad special teams plays of their own. Um, but look, they had to convert two fourth downs to get a score on Oklahoma, which is something that's interesting to look at. Um, but I don't really think they're going to play a defense as good as Oklahoma's for the rest of the year until they're in a bowl game or until they play Oklahoma again in the Big 12 championship game. Um, so that won't be an issue for them. Um, I expect Texas to fully recover from this, probably win enough games to get into the Big 12 championship game. I fully expect Oklahoma to be there. Um, and I think it'll be a good rematch if they do end up playing again. And I don't know who I will pick. I, I'll have to tell you that in six or so weeks whenever that comes around. Um, then Louisville beat Notre Dame 33-20. to 
This one I got wrong also. I thought Notre Dame was going to be able to go on the road and get another road victory in the ACC. Something interesting to note, a little behind the scenes, this was my original pick for Notre, one of Notre Dame's two losses on the year. Uh, they now already have two losses, so I'm probably going to get that one wrong. Um, but I switched it from Ohio State and Louisville to losing two. Uh, or I, maybe Louisville and USC was my original combination, and I think I changed it to Ohio State and Clemson, which that's probably not going to happen anymore. Um, but look... Notre Dame, they're still a good team. They've just played a really hard schedule. Um, I, I still think they have the potential to beat USC, and this team is still guiding the playoff race. They have all season long. Uh, if Ohio State had lost Notre Dame, they would probably be seen as pretty much out right now, the way they've looked on the eye test as well. And the same thing goes for Louisville. Now they skyrocket into the top 15 as a result of getting this win over Notre Dame. So they are having the exact impact that we thought they would preseason. Um, but that was a long recap. 4-4 four four combined, 820 and 553 overall, a 59.7% winning percentage. That's definitely all I'm going to say about my predictions. Um, but my predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursday. Now moving on to college football, starting with the best games of Week 5. Well, I went into this one a little bit already, but uh, Oklahoma beating Texas 34-30 was definitely a great kickoff to the week and definitely the best game of the week for me. Um, obviously, you had Oklahoma score very, very late. I already talked about it enough, so I won't go into too much detail. But Oklahoma scored very, very late in this game uh, to end up taking the final lead that was the decisive lead after Texas went down the field, came back from down 27-17, to 17, got a field goal, forced two more stops out of Oklahoma, got another touchdown later on to tie it at 27. And then Texas went down the field, got a field goal, uh, went up by three, with just 117 left in the game. But then Oklahoma was actually able to come back and score in a minute and two seconds, five plays, 75 yards. And that was the end of it as Oklahoma took the lead and won the game. It was a great drive. I can't do enough justice to it by talking about it. So I figured I'd just skip over it, which maybe that's a little bit of bad psychology there. But um, it was a good game. I would say that's that game's worth a rewatch, honestly. It was really, really entertaining to watch. The next game... Maybe not as good in terms of quality. Um, Arizona took a 17-0 lead over USC. Uh, USC eventually came back and won in triple overtime, 43-41. I will admit, I was asleep by the end of this game. Um, or before the end of this game, I should say. Much before. Um, because I had thought that USC was going to win the game after they were down 17-0 and took a 28-17 lead. That is the exact point, or 28-21 lead, excuse me or 28-20, jeez, um, after they took that lead, that's when I decided that it was over. USC had made their comeback, and Arizona probably wasn't going to do anything about that after that, but I was wrong. Um, this game just kept going on. Arizona eventually forced USC to miss. I mean, I don't know if they really forced it. Just look at the video. USC had a really odd kicking thing to try to win the game, or when they were trying to win the game, they had a really odd kicking situation, uh, and they didn't make the field goal. Um, and then he won in overtime. USC eventually won on a very unconventional play call as well. Um, but regardless, they don't look too good. I'm not going to lie. I, they, they've been moving down in polls every single week, despite the fact that they're 6-0. and That shouldn't happen, but it is happening because their eye test is really, really bad, especially on the defensive end of things. Um, speaking of good defenses, though, Alabama and Texas A&M, this was a good game, but at number 11, Alabama ended up coming away with the victory. Uh, it was a close one. Texas A&M had a 17-10 lead at the half, but Alabama outscored A&M 14-0 in the third quarter to take a 24-17 lead into the fourth 
and that ended up being enough uh, for the Crimson Tide to get the win. Look, this team still isn't a typical Alabama team. I said it before the year. I continue to say it. There's nothing else you can say about it. They're still a good team. They're probably a, somewhere in the top 15 to 20. I think that their name value does inflate their ranking a little bit, obviously. Um, but the fact of the matter is this this team is fine. They're a good team. I just don't know if they're a great team. Actually, I do know. They're not a great team. Um, but then you have number 23, LSU, who beat Missouri. I talked about that already. Uh, maybe in too much detail, but LSU will be playing Alabama on November 4th to see which one of these teams is going to be maybe outside of a New Year's Six Bowl, honestly. It's possible that that game could decide it. Alabama has some other tough games as well against Tennessee and Kentucky, um, but we'll see. Uh, that game's looking to be very interesting, though, but for me, for in the meanwhile, LSU is 3-1 in conference. Alabama's still undefeated, though, so they control their own destiny in the conference. Um Despite the fact that they have that loss, that loss obviously was to Texas, so it doesn't matter as much. Then you have number 16, Ole Miss, who beat Arkansas 27-20. Arkansas might be, look, we've talked about Nebraska jokingly is the best 3-9 team of all time. That's something that's been thrown around a lot. Arkansas might be the best team who's 0-3 in SEC play and 2-4 overall. I mean, this team has played a tough, tough schedule. And they've stayed close in every game, regardless of who they've been playing. Now, granted, the BYU loss does definitely taint things a little bit, but they lost by three to LSU. They lost by seven to Ole Miss. They lost, yes, they lost to 12. Sorry, yes, they lost by 12 to Texas a and That's not a great look, especially at home. But they've stayed, they, they stayed close with LSU. They stayed close with Ole Miss. We'll see what happens with them in Alabama this weekend. I don't expect Arkansas to go out and win that game, but the line is 19 and a half. That was the same line for Michigan and Minnesota. This is not, that is not that type of a game. Um, Michigan is a much better team than Alabama is, and Arkansas is a much better team than Minnesota is. Therefore, this game will be closer. Um, I guess there's my betting advice for the week is to take Arkansas on the points, but that could be wrong. I mean, there might be some other injury things going on. I'm saying that off the top of my head with no research. So don't take that at face, take that at face value. Don't take that uh, without the world's largest grain of salt. Um, but now we'll move on to the most impressive teams of Week 5. I just mentioned Michigan. They won 52-10. to Then you have number 1, Georgia, who won 51-13. to uh, I grouped these two together because I just want to make this point. I don't think there were any teams who actually impressed me this week um, beyond things we already knew. But this week did reinforce the fact that the top two teams in the country are clearly Georgia and Michigan again. Um, I don't know if necessary. I, I wouldn't put Michigan ahead of Alabama two years ago when they lost to Georgia in the semifinal. But I think last year we know that Michigan was probably a better team than TCU, and by the way, this year kind of shows that. Um, but they just lost that game because of a bunch of mistakes. Michigan wasn't making mistakes all of last year, and once again, it'll come down to how they just happened to play in the semifinal. Same thing with Georgia. They almost lost to Ohio State, but they ended up pulling it out. It ended up killing TCU to win the national championship. But the one thing I do have to say is that there's a big drop-off after these two. I really don't think there's much separation between them. Frankly, I could flip my number one and number two every week, and I really don't think anybody would bat an eye at it. But beyond them, there is such a large separation between them and the rest. Um, but then that's all I got for most impressive. I don't really need to talk about the games individually. It was just pure dominance. Uh, Michigan scored two more defensive touchdowns than Minnesota scored uh, total points. Michigan had more pick sixes. 
I, sorry, I'll, I'll put it, I'll phrase it this way. Ethan Kaliak-Manis had one completion in the second half of this game, and it was to Keon Sab, a Michigan safety, who then converted that into a pick six. I'm not joking. He did not complete a single pass to a Minnesota player in that entire half. Anyway, um, now we'll move on to the biggest upsets of week five. If you think that sounded bad, just watch the end of Georgia Tech-Miami. Miami literally could have taken a knee and won the game, and they decided that they were going to run the ball. They fumbled. Georgia Tech went 76 yards in 25 seconds or something like that, and they won the game. Uh, Miami, I have no idea how this team is ranked. I, this makes no sense. They, frankly, I would never really thought they should have been ranked in the first place, um, but, you know, that went over A&M. That, that's a good win, though. A&M is a decent team, so I'll, I'll give them that. They get credit for that, but this team deserves zero ranked votes after this week. I mean, that was awful. I don't know how you even stay close with Georgia Tech. Mind you, if you go transitive property-wise, I'm sure you've seen the image. There's this whole thing with Bowling Green and blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to go there. But Bowling Green beat Georgia Tech. Miami beat Northern Illinois, sorry, Miami of Ohio by like a million. And Miami of Ohio beat Bowling Green by a million. But all of a sudden, Georgia Tech is now able to beat Miami. It makes no sense. It's college football. It's chaos. Uh, then you have two games that I talked about in my predictions. UCLA beat Washington State and Louisville beat Notre Dame. This Louisville-Notre Dame game was really a stalemate at the half. Um, and then, and by literally, by really, I mean it's it was 7-7, seven to seven, so it actually was a stalemate. Uh, Louisville exploded in the second half, though, converting off of three Sam Hartman interceptions after he previously had zero on the season uh, before this game and ended up turning those into a lot of points and won the game as a result. But that is all I have for college football this week. Definitely a light review. It was a very, very fun week, but it was a very, very easy week to break down. Um, most And frankly, a lot of it is just things that I cannot describe. You just have to go watch them for yourself, especially that uh, Miami gaffe at the end of the game against Georgia Tech. But regardless, that's all we have for college football this week. We'll now move on to the NFL, starting with the closest games of the week. Uh, that starts with the Jaguars and the Bills. As we talked about before, the Jaguars beat the Bills 25-20. to The Bills were down 11-7 at the half. Uh, they scored 13 of their 20 points in the fourth quarter doing no-huddle, two-minute drill stuff. Um, and that was really the only flow they could get on offense the whole week. I mean, it, it, frankly, it just wasn't that coherent or complete, I guess you could say, of a performance for the Bills. Uh, just very disjointed overall. Um, but then you have the Falcons. They got a game-winning walk-off, whatever you want to say, field goal against the Texans to win 21-19. Uh, they are somehow above 500. do don't ask me how, but they are. Uh, they haven't lost a home game yet. Desmond Ritter is actually undefeated in his career at home, which is crazy. But they came off the London game against Jag the Jaguars, and they came back ready to play, and they played a good game and won, um, and that's good for them. Um, and then you have one of the weakest divisions, as always, in the league, the AFC South. The Colts beat the Titans 23-16 to, for now, seize control of that division, I believe, um, which is surprising, I will say. I didn't expect, or I guess, no, the Jaguars are at the top of that division as well. Um, but, look, I didn't expect the Colts to be at the top of that division either. I, I, I frankly, if you told me before the season that they were going to lose to the Rams last week, uh, I definitely wouldn't say they'd be 3-2 and in leading the division because the Rams weren't supposed to be very good either, and they didn't even have Cooper Cup in that game. Um, but the Colts, credit to them, they are playing good enough football to be tied for division lead. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. Maybe that's just the Anthony Richardson effect. I don't know. I don't quite watch all the Colts games for many different reasons. Um, but 
look, they're playing well. They're playing above expectations. I will just leave it at that and give them their credit for that. Um, then you have the AFC North, which is always a chaotic division. Right now, though, it's the Steelers on top because after being down 10 to nothing at the half, they shut out the Ravens in the second half and then scored 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to win 17 to 10 over Baltimore. Um, this was a ridiculous game. George Pickens had an amazing play at the end of the game to uh, seal it pretty well, not to seal it, actually, to take the lead for the for the Steelers um, on a deep catch that he made. Uh, but look. There were many things going on in this game. Lamar's receivers dropping passes. Uh, Matt Canada being upset that the Steelers scored a touchdown. I don't really know why. Maybe he wasn't upset. Maybe he was just emotionless. But that's weird for an offensive coordinator to not be happy when your team scores a touchdown, especially when the fans have been calling for you to get fired. You'd think that would make you very happy. Um, but anyway, with all that, the Steelers are at the top of the AFC North, and that's a very good result for them, and they deserve some praise for that. Um, the Ravens are also still 3-2, and two, though, so they can definitely get back uh, to the top of the division. They obviously will play the Steelers later in the season in Baltimore, and I fully expect them to win that game. Um, but for now, it's the Steelers at the top of the division via the tiebreaker. Uh, and then you have the Chiefs and the Vikings, two teams going in opposite directions. The Chiefs now 3-0 on the road. The Vikings 0-3 at home. Chiefs 4-1 overall. Vikings 1-4. I talked about the various injuries in this game. That was really the most important thing. Uh, to take away from this, especially because the Vikings are actually considering putting Justin Jefferson on IR uh, with his hamstring injury, so that means he would miss at least four weeks. That would be a big deal for that team, although obviously at one and four, they're not very likely to make the playoffs in the first place, um, but it is still important to mention that if they were ever going to make some kind of a miracle chase, you would probably need Justin Jefferson there to do that, uh, especially in the middle part of the season, so things are getting a lot tougher for the Vikings by the minute. Um, and speaking of things getting a lot tougher, Jordan Love seems to be getting worse every week. I mean, I don't think he's actually getting worse every week, but the stats look worse every week. The fantasy points look worse every week. Um, and the Raiders, they actually escaped with the victory, beating the Packers 17-13. to Jordan Love had a game-winning touchdown, but he was uh, pressured, so he couldn't get the throw-off to Christian Watson. And then when he did get the throw-off, it was near the back of the end zone, and there was no space anymore for Watson to really make a play on it, and it was also underthrown, so it was picked off, and the Raiders won instead. Um, many things going wrong for the Packers, but look, they're an okay team. They're not making the playoffs. I I've said many times that the Lions have this division under control. I really think they do. Uh, the Bears just got their first win of the season, and it took playing Washington to get that, um, so, you know. Uh, and, and yes, Justin Fields has had a great resurgence since uh, Chase Claypool has been healthy, uh, a healthy scratch twice um, and now traded to the Dolphins. But I, I don't think that's enough. I mean, they still lost that game to the Broncos uh, where Justin Fields had kind of his breakout performance of the season. Um, so look, the Packers, they're at the bottom of this division with the Bears. They're definitely a step above the Bears for now. They did beat the Bears like pretty easily um, at Soldier Field already this season. So I think you can put them a tier above. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it really looks like it's the Lions division to lose at this point with the Vikings also at one and four. And speaking of the Lions, they are on the most impressive teams for week four list. Uh, they beat the Panthers 42 to 24. I'm just I, I'm just looking at this offense and there's a lot of production that I didn't expect. I mean, obviously Jared Goff is going to lead a productive offense. He always does. But the 40 points that they're getting, I mean, they're getting a lot more points than I expected them to. Getting what whatever it was 23 or 24 on on Thursday night football at the Chiefs to begin the season was that's a decent performance but this is a step up just scoring 40 plus multiple weeks 
Uh, they did it against the Seahawks too, I believe. Um, but look, the Lions are a very, very, very good team. Their defense is much improved. This game was without Jameer Gibbs that they still scored 42. I think Amon Ross St. Brown was also out. So this wasn't even the full strength Lions. Um, but the fact of the matter is Sam Laporta is looking like the best of the rookie class at tight end, at least so far. He might not be the best uh, after everything ends, but for now he is looking like the best. Um, and then you have uh, the Bengals. Uh, sorry, I'm going off the line so abruptly, but I don't have much more to say. It's just a great offensive performance and their defense is better as well. But the Bengals, they are finally getting on track. It seems even without T Higgins, Jamar Chase had a ridiculous game, had the first three touchdown game of his career as the Bengals beat the Cardinals 34 to 20 on the road. A great win by the Bengals. Uh, the Cardinals fall to one and four while the Bengals get to two and three, which now all of a sudden you look at things, you take a step back and you you thought for a second, oh my God, the Bengals are one and three. How are they going to make the playoffs? It's going to be impossible. Now you have the Steelers beat the Ravens. And now all of a sudden, if the Steelers and the Ravens lose next week, the Bengals can be in for, tied for first place in this division. Like it can change so quickly, especially at the beginning of the season. And especially when you have a team this talented, um, all those stats about how likely it is to make the playoffs when you're one and three, go back and check how many of those teams actually made the Super Bowl two years before they went one and three to start the season and their quarterback was in their second year and is now in their fourth year. I guarantee you it's not many. So the Bengals are just kind of a different team when it comes to looking at those stats and they already defied those stats last year because I think they're one of, out of the last 18 teams, I think to start 0 and three, they're the only team to make the playoffs or something like that. Um, so they've defied those stats before. They'll do it again. I don't know why they always start slow and they might want to figure that out because they might get an easier road in the playoffs if they had a fast start to the season. Um, but the fact of the matter is I still have faith in them to figure it out. It looks like they're starting to do that. And that was even without T Higgins. So when he comes back, it'll be even better. Um, then you have the Saints. Look, you're going to get on here if you shut out somebody. I don't care if it's the Patriots. The Saints beat the Patriots 34 to nothing. Uh, a dominant performance by New Orleans as the Patriots continue to look worse and worse. Uh, the Saints at three and two, which is the same record uh, as the Falcons at the top of that division, I believe, with the Bucks, who are also three and two, or maybe three and one, because I think their bye might have been this week. Um, but then you have the Dolphins, who won thirty-one to sixteen. Um, I, I mean, it, it's hard to put them on here. I just wanted to talk about it because the fact of the matter is, without a pick-six, the Giants would not have scored a touchdown in this game. So the Dolphins' defense really held strong uh, after a few weeks where it didn't look so good. Um, and then you have the Cowboys who lost to the 49ers. The 49ers now at 5-0, along with the Eagles, the only unbeatens in the league, who I didn't mention because they didn't blow out the Rams, but that game also wasn't relatively close. Well, wasn't super close. It's pretty much right where I would have expected it to be. Um, but the Eagles and the Niners are the two unbeatens. I talked about the Niners dominating the Cowboys already. So I will end it there with the NFL and move on to the most important thing right now, which is the MLB postseason um, I'm not going to change tone. I'm not going to make it sound like I'm sad. I'm not going to not going to sit here and pout. Obviously, we all know that I'm a Dodgers fan um, and my dad is too. But the fact of the matter is I'm here to analyze all the games and I have many things to say about the Dodgers that are probably all negative because, well, they're losing two to nothing. But let's start before we get to the NLDS, go all the way back uh, to the wild card recap. I'm going to do this quickly because, you know, it's been over for half a week, but the fact of the matter is the MLB put the uh, playoffs in the middle of the week way too much. Uh, this podcast is structured around recapping things that happen over the weekend because most of the time leagues schedule their most important games on the weekend. Or if you're a football league, you only schedule games over the weekend pretty much. Um, but 
The MLB is doing its own thing, and um, all these series happened in the middle of last week, but I'll get through them quickly. First, you had the Rangers who swept the Rays. They won the first game 4-0, second game 7-1, just all-out domination by the by the Rangers over the Rays. Uh, this is a team that can be really, really dangerous. I'm going to talk more about what I think about them later. Um, but the Rays, meanwhile, have lost seven playoff games in a row now. Uh, some some lackluster atmospheres as well as the games were starting early and it's at Tropicana. Then you have the Twins who swept the Blue Jays. They won the first game 3-1, to one, won the second game 2 to nothing. If the Blue Jays could get a hit with runners in scoring position or a home run, they would have won the series. But instead, their pitching staff only gave up five runs across 18 innings, but their offense only got one run. Um, and now they are sitting at home while the Twins are tied with the Astros. That's a little bit of a spoiler, but we'll get to that later. I'll turn now to the National League really quickly. The Diamondbacks swept the Brewers, and in case you needed any reminder, I had the Rays uh, and the Blue Jays. My dad had the Rangers and the Blue Jays, so he went 1-1 one one in the AL. I went 0-2, but I got both the NL series right because I picked the Diamondbacks as soon as I heard that Brandon Woodruff wouldn't be pitching, and the Diamondbacks were able to actually put six runs up on Corbin Burns and then put five up on Freddie Peralta, obviously not all on the starter in either of those games. Um, but they won 6-3 in the first game, 5-2 in the second game. And then pure domination from the Phillies, as we expected. Uh, my dad did pick the Phillies in two, so he did pick the sweep. Um, one Game one, excuse me, was a Phillies 4-1 win, and game two was a Phillies 7-1 win. Um, I will say it's really disappointing that every single series here was a sweep. I mean, it's just, it's just bad. Um, it's frankly, once we get to the ALDS, you, you will realize that... The playoffs this year have been incredibly boring. I don't want to be that person, but it's not just because the Dodgers are losing. Yesterday, I was very excited during that game because the Dodgers pretty much always had the tying run at the plate. But these series are just not fun to watch because the fact of the matter is, I will get to this in a second when we talk about the ALDS, and I guess I'll start with the ALDS, but the Rangers are leading the Orioles 2 to nothing. They went on the road to Baltimore and won game one, three to two. And then in game two, they took an 11 to two lead before the Orioles came back and eventually made it 11-8 at the end of the game. But the Rangers very easily won both of those games, um, which meant that through the first, excuse me, through the wild card and through the first two games of the ALDS and the first game of both NLDS series, none of the teams who were losing the series had won a single game. Everything was a sweep and everything was a 2-0 lead. Finally, the Astros excuse me, the Twins won over the Astros, and in Game 2 to tie it up at 1-1, one to one, uh, they became the first team losing the series to actually win a game, but I'll go back to the Rangers real quick. Look, the Rangers have come out and dominated. I didn't expect this without Max Scherzer, but the fact of the matter is, there is a reason this team was number one in the league uh, at the start of the year. There, there were times where they were viewed as the best team in the league, better than the Braves, better than the Rays, um, but their run... Their run, that kind of, I mean, the Braves went on that run at the end of the season, kind of middle of May, maybe not end of the season, but after the end of May, kind of in the June to August range, and then kind of carried the momentum forward, the Rangers were on their run at the beginning of the season. So people kind of forgot about them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they lose the division on the final day of the Astros, everything looks bad. And then they just come back to life again and they destroy the Rays, easily discard of them. And then they do the same thing with the with the Orioles, excuse me, so far. And now, finally, four games into the playoffs, after winning four straight road games, they will actually play a home game uh, at Globe Life Field, which is interesting because that was obviously the host of the 2020 World Series, so uh, there have been playoff games played there before, but this will be the first time the Rangers play in their shiny new stadium that kind of looks like a dumpster. 
Um, but look, the Rangers are playing well right now. I fully expect them to win at least one of those two games at home and close it out in four, if not tonight. Um, and that game is going to start really, really soon. Uh, but the Rangers are just playing really well. Uh, right now, they're my World Series pick. I'm just going to say that. I mean, I-, I thought that this team was really good. I had trouble even picking the Rays over them in the first place. But this is a team I've been relatively high on. I started relatively low on with DeGrom at the beginning of the, of the year, excuse me. But with the addition of Jordan Montgomery, with the other additions they made throughout their bullpen, Roldis Chapman, uh, Jose LeClerc coming back and being really good, um, all of those things have just led to me actually having a lot of confidence in the Rangers. Evan Carter has been ridiculous since his promotion. Uh, I didn't expect that they were going to put him up in this lineup just due to the fact that they were playing so well. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the year, they kind of needed a spark, and Evan Carter has been that. Um, they're my World Series pick for now. Um, but meanwhile, I will move off of that series and talk about the Astros and the Twins. Game one, the Astros won 6-4. to four. Good offense in that game by Jordan Alvarez, not by the Astros overall, but he had two home runs. Um, the Twins not doing too well with runners in scoring position for guys not named Carlos Correa, and that continued in Game 2, but in Game 2, Pablo Lopez completely shut down the Astros, so it didn't matter. Uh, he pitched seven shutout innings before a Jordan Alvarez, you guessed it, who who else would have scored the runs, uh, hit a two-run home run to make it 6-2, to two, but the Twins had already pretty much sealed up the game at that point, um, and now we're tied, and really going forward, I have no idea who's going to win. A lot of executives think the Twins were a sneaky pick for not only winning series and, and, and multiple series, frankly, but winning the World Series, which I think is crazy. But the fact of the matter is the AL is wide open. I really do feel like the Rangers are kind of seizing that opportunity for themselves. And they I think they're now actually the favorites um, just because of the fact that they're up two to nothing in the series, whereas the Astros are tied one to one and the Phillies and the Braves are tied one to one. But look, the Twins have played well. Um, I'm happy that they got their, their wins because they have not had playoff wins in a long, long time. Uh, basically, I forget if it's once. I always forget if it's one series win or one playoff win overall because it just seems so unfathomable that a team could go 18 years without winning a singular game in the playoffs. Um, I know for a fact they haven't won a series since I was six months old until last week, but they might have not won a game. I don't remember. If, I don't remember which one is true. I think. I think they're both true actually. But anyway. I'll look it up, but I know the series thing is true for sure. I don't remember if the games are. I think they have been swept on all their other rounds. But regardless, they finally got that win in a series, and now they've actually gotten another win in the ALDS, something that if you had told Twins fans after winning a crappy division by, you know, eight or nine games over an under 500 team, um, they'd be very happy with. And I think Twins fans should be happy with the season, regardless of what happens in the rest of the series with the Astros. Although, after you've split on the road, you would like to come back home and take two games and close out the series and... uh We'll see what happens with the Twins. Um, I expect them to do great things. I expect Sonny Gray to have a good outing. Um, and I expect the Twins to actually at least take one game, but I do think the Astros might take the series in five. Maybe I'm selfishly thinking that because I want to see the Rangers and the Astros because it would be a really interesting series because uh, those teams actually don't like each other at all. Um, like this season, they have had many, many fights and many, many verbal spars, whatever you want to call them. Um, but regardless, I'll move on to the NLDS. Talk about two teams that also don't like each other. Uh, the Phillies and the Braves, they don't like each other. Game one, the Phillies won three to nothing. Atlanta, no offense whatsoever. Ronald Acuna, no hits whatsoever. Um, game two, same story, no hits for Ronald Acuna, but trailing four to nothing, trailing three to nothing, actually, after just the third inning and trailing four to nothing eventually, the Braves came back and won this game five to four. That was really, really important. The amount of energy that was kind of jolted into that team after getting that win 
it's it's immeasurable, and it's going to be very, very important going forward that they got this win. Um, they might not win the series. I don't know if the Phillies will just beat them again like they did last year um, because Philly is a tough place to play on the road in the playoffs. But regardless, I know that the Braves are going to be a lot closer than they would have been if they would have just, you know, fell on their sword and lost 4 to nothing again um, and gotten shut out. But just like Ronald Acuna for the Braves, the Dodgers need Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts Game one, the Diamondbacks chased Kershaw out of the game after he only got one out and gave up six runs. They won 11-2. Don't have anything to say about that game at all. Uh, it was a, it was just a demolition, honestly. Um, and then in game two, the Diamondbacks won 4-2. Freddie and Mookie are one for 13 so far with three walks. Two for Freddie, one for Mookie, both of those in game one. Um, so only Freddie got on base with a infield hit uh, in last night's game as the Dodgers lost 4-2. to and now they're turning to Lance Lynn, so things don't look very good um, for the Dodgers. But look, the fact of the matter is, the difference is coming from the top of the lineup. It is very, very simple and very, very clear-cut. If you just went off of playoff numbers, the Dodgers' OPS from the top three in the lineup, you have Mookie at 125 with that one walk. You have Freddie Freeman at somewhere in the f- low 500s from a 375 on base and a 167 slug, a.k.a. he's one for six with a single. Um, and then Will Smith is at 750 because he hit a double, a meaningless, sorry, a meaningless triple that knocked in Mookie and Freddie after they had those two walks, but the Dodgers were already losing 11-1, or 11 to nothing, excuse me, uh, so that didn't matter at all. Meanwhile, on the Arizona end of things, Corbin Carroll is slugging 1,000, He's his on-base is 632 in the playoffs, Cattell Marte's OPS is 816 in the playoffs, and then Tommy Pham's OPS is 977, and then if you want to go even lower, you can go to Christian Walker, whose OPS is 840, is 850. Um, and then if you want to go even farther than that, Gabby Moreno is also over 900. Um, so this is just an offensive onslaught that the Dodgers can't deal with right now. Uh, they did a better they did a better job with the bullpen limiting um, Arizona's production. After Bobby Miller gave up three runs in an inning and two-thirds, Dave Roberts made the right decision, um, sensing that it could be a make-or-break moment for the pitching staff. He put Bruce Dark Gratterall in against Tommy Pham, uh, with first and second and two outs, and it was the right move. The Dodgers didn't give up another run until the sixth inning when uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hit a solo homer. But the fact of the matter is, L.A. had the tying run up over and over and over and over again and just couldn't hit with runners in scoring position, left seven guys on base, one for six with runners in scoring position. The only runs scored off of an infield single by Kike Hernandez with the bases loaded and then a solo homer from J.D. Martinez, just a disappointing performance from the Dodgers again. I mean, that's really all I can say about it. Uh, the top of the lineup for Arizona, despite the fact that you're talking about, yes, Cattell Mar- Marte and Tommy Pham are vets, um, but definitely don't have as much playoff experience as Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And then when you look at Corbin Carroll, who has obviously never played in a playoff game before because it's his rookie season, he's the best player in the series, and frankly, it hasn't been very close uh, to this moment. Zach Gallen didn't necessarily have a great, he had a good outing, but he didn't have a great outing. The Dodgers have had nobody really show up outside of J.D. Martinez. He, I guess, is the only one rivaling Corbin Carroll with uh, the fact that he went two for three yesterday with also a walk in that solo home run. So he is having a good series. Um, But the fact of the matter is the Dodgers have no production from the bottom of their lineup. Uh, Meanwhile, everybody on Arizona's team has had at least one hit somewhere in the postseason. The Dodgers have James Altman, who has not gotten a hit yet. Uh, Chris Taylor hasn't gotten a hit yet. Jason Hayward hasn't gotten a hit yet. Mookie Betts hasn't gotten a hit yet. Kike Hernandez is only one for four. Miguel Rojas is one for two in the few opportunities that he's been given. 
Um, or I think he, maybe he's two for four with a few singles. And then Colton Wong is 0 for three. So the Dodgers just don't have anything going offensively right now. And that's really the thing that has limited them in the series. But Arizona deserves this lead. I mean, they have thoroughly outplayed the Dodgers. That is all I can say about it. And that's all I do have to say about it. So for now, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, October 17th, where we will recap my weekend predictions once again, look at week seven of college football, review NFL week six action, and have a review of MLB playoff action. Probably at that point, uh, it will be the championship series. I believe those will have started, but there's a chance one of them might not have yet. Uh, but in the meantime, be sure to check out my additional content, including my college, fo- including our college football poll that are posted on that's posted every Monday. Um, my, my MLB power rankings are now over. I will say, but that means bracketology is around the corner. I will have a preseason bracketology up in the next week or two, sometime like that. I haven't set a timeline yet. Don't really know, but. Definitely before the season, which starts early November, so next two, three weeks. Um, And then also my picks for next weekend's games that will be posted, as always, on Thursday. And, of course, my predictions for the entire college football season, if you want to see how I'm doing, although I will start tracking that soon. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.